Okay, Shabbat Shalom, everybody. So today is uh, the day before the last day of unleavened bread. <laughs> so the sixth day of unleavened bread. Tomorrow's the seventh day of unleavened bread, uh, which is um, the last day, and it's uh, supposed to be a holy convocation. It's a day where you don't work because the way that it would have worked back in um, times when the temple was still standing, the elders in Israel would have gone up to Jerusalem for Passover, and you would pretty much stay the week because uh, it was during the barley harvest, and so you'd have Passover. The next day was um, uh, the Festival of Unleavened Bread, and which was a no-work day, and then they would start harvesting the barley, which was uh, in which was ripe. And on the last day, they would offer up uh, the first fruits of the barley as a first fruits offering. And during that unleavened bread week, there's always a Sabbath that falls in there. Today is, is that Sabbath. And as the Bible says, what we're going to read, on the morrow after, meaning the day after the Sabbath, you offer up this uh, first fruits offering of barley. And you also start counting from that day 49 days, seven weeks, and on the 50th day, or seven weeks, is Pentecost, or Shavuot, which is when the wheat harvest would be, and they would bake two leaven, big leaven loaves of, of wheat and wave them before, uh, before God um, as, a, as a thanksgiving offering for food, keeping them alive. So, so if you want to start out, we're going to start out in Leviticus 23. So we're entering into that counting of the omer. Uh, what that is, an omer is a measurement of grain. And they would offer up an omer of uh, barley every, every day for those 49, 50 days until they reached Pentecost, Shavuot. And um, most people believe, and I, I tend to agree with it, that the 50 days was the time that it took from the Exodus to when they made it to Mount Sinai and received the Torah from God on Mount Sinai. And um, I think that that timeline makes sense to me. And you can see a lot of parallels biblically um, with that. So what I want to talk about today is um, what we somewhat erroneously call first fruits, because actually Shavuot or Pentecost is also called first fruits, because you're offering both of the days you're offering up the first fruits unto God of the barley and then the, later on the wheat harvest, basically thanking Him for keeping you alive, because all of the feasts biblically are attached to the agricultural cycle within the land of Israel, and they have to do with uh, the food that that God has blessed them and provided them with, because. As you said, when they were going into the land, you know, I'm not sending you to a land that's irrigated with canals uh, and things like that. It is, it is watered by rain from heaven, and it, that is, it comes as a blessing from me. And so if you obey me, keep my commandments, do what I tell you to, you'll get rain, you'll get food, you'll eat, and you won't die. And, and also, because the land was supposed to rest every seven years, he said in the sixth year, I'll provide enough food for you so that it will last for the sixth year and the seventh year to get you through um, so that you'll survive. And so their whole lives were dependent on 
um, you know, this faithful obedience and walking out of their faith, trusting in what God said he would do, he would do. And um, what we find in the story, and just like we do in our own lives, is we, uh, we lack faith and we lack trust, so we um, work according to our own devices and, um, you know, reap the negative consequences of that so often. I find it interesting. So during this week of unleavened bread, you're supposed to get all the leaven out of your house. <coughs> and what's interesting, and I didn't even know this on a corporate level. So the, I believe it's the chief rabbi in Israel, they every year sell all, and if you're listening to this, I'm using air quotes, they sell all of Israel's leaven to, um, to a Palestinian Arab. And he profits, like, like he makes a lot of money off this. And they've been doing this for years. And then at the end, they buy it all back. So technically, they don't own it, so they're kind of sort of, but not really, obeying God. And, and so, to me, that's a perfect example of man doing things his own way to kind of sort of obey, but totally missing what? The spirit of the law. You know, you may, do in, be, may be doing the black and white words on the paper, but it's, it's devoid of spirit. And so what is there? There's no relationship. That's why when you get all the way into the New Testament, Yeshua says, they say, they say we've, no, we've never been a servant to any man. We're, we're children of Abraham. And he says, I can raise up, or John. It's all, I always screw this up. John says, I can raise up, you know, God could raise up children of Abraham from these stones. It's irrelevant the blood that's coursing through your veins. It's what's going on in the heart. Because I can have children who uh, are my children, but if they are wayward, rebellious, doing whatever they want, they, they're not representing their father and walking in the steps of their father. And so, um, and it just blatantly transgresses the commandment, there, there shall be no leaven found within all of your borders. I mean, that's pretty black and white. Um, but, and that was part of what Yeshua was railing against and arguing against and why they hated him is because he was pulling people back to the word of God. Say, no, this is, but I say to you, you know, the Torah walking around in flesh, giving proper interpretation. That's what he said. I came not to destroy, but to fulfill the law, which is a, a Hebrew idiom for interpreting it correctly. And that's why they were always amazed at what he said, because he didn't cite anybody. He just spoke and preached and taught. And they were just kind of blown away that, that he was the final authority because if you read any rabbinic literature, it's always rabbi such and such, rabbi such and such, blah, blah, blah. And if you really want to appeal, you go back all the way back to Moses. And he said, you've, you've heard it, you've seen it, but I tell you. And, um, and so they didn't like that because it was undermining their authority and their control because the Pharisees controlled all the synagogues. They were the, um, but there were some that believed in him and, and thought he was a good guy. Oh, yeah, all that's free. So we're going to read um, Leviticus, a little bit in Deuteronomy. Then we're going to go up into Corinthians, and that's where I really kind of want to spend most of my time because Yeshua, as Paul tells us, is the first fruits of the resurrection. And so he talks about that, and it all correlates back to this idea of the first fruits and what is offered unto God first, the firstborn the first fruits of the harvest. God gets the first of everything, which is the best. 
And so we're going to read in Leviticus 23. We're going to start in verse 4, uh, and we're going to read through uh, 17. So Leviticus 23, verse 4. These are the feasts of Yehovah, even holy convocations, which you shall proclaim in their seasons. In the 14th day of the first month at even is Yehovah's Passover. And on the 15th day of the same month is the Feast of Unleavened Bread unto Yehovah. Seven days you must eat unleavened bread. In the first day you shall have a holy convocation, and you shall do no servile work therein. But you shall, uh, but you shall offer an offering made by fire unto Yehovah seven days, and in the seventh day is a holy convocation, and you shall do no servile work therein. So that's tomorrow, seven days. And Yehovah spoke unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, when ye be come into the land which I give unto you, and reap of the harvest thereof, then ye shall bring a sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest unto the priest, and he shall wave it, and he shall wave the sheaf before Yehovah to be accepted for you. On the morrow after the Sabbath, the priest shall wave it. Again, that's tomorrow. And ye shall offer that day when ye wave the sheaf and he lamb without blemish of the first year for a burnt offering unto Yehovah. And the meat thereof shall be two-tenth deals of fine flour mingled with oil, an offering made by fire unto Yehovah for a sweet savor, and the drink offering thereof shall be of wine, a fourth part of a hymn. And ye shall eat neither bread, nor parch parched corn, nor green ears, until the selfsame day that ye have brought an offering unto your God. And it shall be a statute forever throughout your generations in all your dwellings. In other words, they aren't allowed to um, eat the new grain um, um, until they had finished, until it was of that year, that harvest of that year, until they had brought that offering. In other words, so you give the first fruits unto God first before you start partaking of it. And uh, 15, and ye shall count for um, unto you from the morrow after the Sabbath, from the day that you brought the sheaf of the wave offering, seven Sabbaths shall be complete. Even unto the morrow after the seventh Sabbath, shall ye number 50 days, and ye shall offer a new meat offering unto Yehovah. When it says in the King James there, a new meat offering, it's actually talking about grain. And ye shall bring out of your habitations two wave loaves of two-tenth deals. They shall be of fine flour. They shall be baked with leaven. They are the first fruits unto Yehovah. So that's talking about Shavuot. Uh, Shavuot means weeks, and so because you're counting those seven weeks and those 50 days up to Shavuot. And they would bring those two loaves, and those were of wheat because the wheat harvest was coming ripe. Um, then you get into the fall festivals like Sukkot, and that was for all of your other, um, you know, your fruits and um, um, all that stuff and later on in the season. Um, so, because you would also bring first fruits uh, from that time as well. Um, all right, now let's go to Deuteronomy 16. Um, I guess we'll just start at verse 1, and we're going to go through 10. So 16, verse 1. Observe the month of Aviv, and keep the passer over unto Yehovah thy God. For in the month of Aviv, Yehovah thy God brought thee forth out of Egypt by night. <laughs> Thou shalt sacrifice, therefore sacrifice the Passover unto Yehovah thy God, of the flock and the herd, in the same place which Yehovah shall choose to place his name there. So... There's that reference, Dad. We were kind of talking about, like, 
that's another just topic. Anyway. Um, so three, thou shalt eat no leavened bread with it. Seven days thou shalt eat unleavened bread therewith, even the bread of affliction. For thou camest forth out of the land of Egypt in haste, that thou mayest remember the day when thou camest forth out of the land of Egypt in all, all the days of thy life. And there shall, okay, here's our verse. Take note, chief rabbi of Israel. There shall be no leavened bread seen within thee all thy coast seven days. Neither shall there be anything of the flesh which thou sacrificed to the first day at even remain all night until the morning. So wasn't supposed to be any leaven within all their borders <laughs> for that week. Five, thou mayest not sacrifice the Passover within any of thy gates, which Jehovah thy God giveth thee. But at the place which Jehovah thy God shall choose to place his name in, there shalt thou sacrifice the Passover at even, at the going down of the sun, at the season that thou camest forth out of Egypt. And thou shalt roast it and eat it in the place which Jehovah thy God shall choose, and thou shalt turn in the morning and go unto thy tents. Eight, six days thou shalt eat unleavened bread, and on the seventh day shall be a solemn assembly to Jehovah thy God. Thou shalt do no work therein. Seven weeks thou shalt number unto thee, uh, begin to number the weeks from such time as thou beginnest to put the sickle to the corn. That's the, um, oh, the barley. And thou shalt keep the feast of weeks unto Yehovah thy God with a tribute and a freewill offering of thine hand. And thou shalt give unto Yehovah thy God according as Yehovah thy God hath blessed thee. And thou shalt rejoice before Yehovah thy God. Thou, thy son, thy daughter, manservant, maidservant, Levite that's in within thy gates, stranger of the fatherless, widow are among you, in the place which Yehovah thy God has chosen to place his name there. And thou shalt remember that thou was a bondman uh, in Egypt, and thou shalt observe and do these statutes. So talking about Passover, unleavened bread, they're supposed to sacrifice his, uh, because it was one of the um, so um, pilgrimage festivals, you could, you could say, where they were, all the males were supposed to go up to Jerusalem and they would sacrifice the lambs there. And, um, and then they would eat their unleavened bread and uh, they would count the seven weeks, the counting of the Omer. Okay, so now that we've talked about that, let's go up to um, um, 1 Corinthians 15. Because I want us to see uh, how Paul talks about Yeshua being the first fruits of the resurrection. Really great chapter. I love Paul's writings. Lots of people do, but I don't know. I like them too. <laughs> he just says so much, I guess. And there's so much of what he says. You really have to have a pretty good working knowledge of the scriptures, of the Tanakh, to be able to really grapple and understand correctly what Paul is saying. Otherwise, you just come to, as we've seen throughout history, all kinds of erroneous conclusions. And uh, it's very easy to do because he, you know, he doesn't stop and explain things for you. He just keeps on a rolling. And um, so it's great. So we're going to, uh, we're going to read actually probably most of the chapter. Um, and then I'll probably stop and talk about it as, as we go along here. And um, we'll see where that takes us. So, so 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 15, verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye has, have received, and wherein ye stand, 
by which also ye are saved, if you keep in memory that uh, if you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Messiah died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, and that He was seen of Kephas, then of the twelve. After that, he was seen of above five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto the present, this present, but some are fallen asleep. After that, he was seen of James, and then of all the apostles. And last of all, he was seen of me also, as of one born out of due time. For I am the least of the apostles, that I uh, that am not meet to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God... I am what I am, and his grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, not I, but the grace of God which was within me. Therefore, whether it were I or they, so we preach, and so ye believe. Now, if Messiah be preached, uh, now if uh, sorry, now if Messiah be preached that he rose from the dead. How say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Messiah not risen. So um, the Sadducees will recall in previous uh, books of the Bible asked Yeshua questions trying to trip him up and asking him about uh, the resurrection because they didn't believe that there was a resurrection, which if there's no resurrection... There no, is no heaven, there's no world to come, there is no eternity, and then basically it's all for naught, essentially. And so if there is a resurrection, then God, who is the firstborn, who is God's son, Yeshua, who is God's son, so he will be the first fruit, that which typifies and represents all those who will be resurrected, because he will be resurrected first. And then all those who are his children, his firstborn Israel, my firstborn son, which left Egypt, which is Yeshua. All those who are in him live just as he did and will be resurrected as well. And that's what David talked about in the Psalms. He said, you know, I will, my body will not cease from corruption, but will be resurrected. So, all right, let's keep going here. Um, so there's some debate. He's, he's addressing this issue that is there a resurrection or not, you know. So he's saying, he's giving the evidence. Yeshua clearly resurrected from the dead. He was seen by over 500 people multiple different times. And there was plenty of eyewitnesses, so it validated that he did rise from the dead. So, 14. And if Messiah be not risen, then our preaching vain, then is our preaching vain, and your faith is also vain. Yay. And we are found false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that he has raised up Messiah, whom he raised not, uh, whom he raised not up, if so be that the dead rise not. In other words, he's saying, if, if Messiah didn't raise up, then we're false witnesses, and our whole testimony, and everything we're saying, and that you're even listening to me, and that you're even bothering what you're doing, is all in vain, and you might as well go do whatever you want. It was what he's saying. So, Either Yeshua did rise from the dead or he didn't. And if there is a resurrection, if there is a world to come, if there is anything beyond this temporal existence, then Yeshua has to rise from the dead because it is in him that we do anything because he is God and he creates all and does all and 
um, lives out all of his word. It's so, I don't even know how to wrap my mind around it, much less explain in words how he lives out all of his word, Yeshua does. He is his word. I mean, it's everything the Bible says about itself, but it's just all these because we grow up in Greek Western mindset where we have our periodic table of elements, right? And it's like, here's the resurrection, here's baptism, there's salvation, there's this, and we, they're all in neat little boxes. But it's not like that biblically. Biblically, picture a, squ- uh, um, a bird's nest. It's all intertwined, and it is all everything connected, and you can't just separate one out from everything else without the whole sweater unraveling. And so Messiah is the resurrection because... All will die because of sin, our fleshly bodies, but we will be risen up, perfect and renewed, because we are born again, and that is the salvation process, and we will be raised incorruptible, that we can live as it was supposed to be back in the garden. But the difference will be death is conquered by Yeshua, brought brought on by sin. And so it's all part of God's salvation, redemptive plan. So he had to raise from the dead. Okay, let's keep going. Hopefully that makes a little bit of sense. Um, 15, yay. And we, uh, let's 16. For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. 17. And if Messiah be not raised, your faith is in vain, and ye are yet in your sins. Really important. If Messiah didn't raise from the dead, you're still in your sins. Because you have to be transformed. You have to be born again. You have to, the old man has to die and you have to be raised again, a new little baby creation with a different nature and intention to live for God as God's child instead of a son of Adam. Because we're all born sons of Adam with an Adamic sinful nature. All that has to die spiritually and physically and we have to be created anew. So, uh, he's going to go on and explain this now agriculturally. That's why Yeshua is the first fruits. So I'll try not to jump ahead of myself. I get too excited. 18, verse 18. Then they also, which are fallen asleep in Messiah, are perished. If in this life only we have hope in Messiah, we are all men most miserable. But now is Messiah risen from the dead. And become the first fruits of them that slept. In other words, the first to rise again. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. So you have this exchange, like kind for like kind. 22. For as in Adam all die, even so in Messiah shall all be made alive. But every man in his own order, Messiah the first fruits, afterward they that are Messiahs at his coming. Then cometh the end, when he shall have deliverance up, oh, I'm sorry, when he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the Father. So he's, uh, let me finish reading, I'm sorry. When he shall have put down all rule and all authority and power. So he's talking about the end and what's going to happen. Then cometh the end. So Messiah dies and his rises first. Then then the end coming. We all, we all will die and be transformed as he's going to talk about in a moment of time. And they all have the resurrection. Then will come the end. And when he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God. So that delivering up the kingdom, we, the people, are the kingdom. What is a kingdom? It's not just a space uh, with buildings and lands and huge tracts of land. It's, it's, uh, it's the people in it. That's what makes the kingdom. And so he's going to deliver up the kingdom even to the Father. 
when he shall have put down all rule and all authority and power. So he's going to conquer all that reigns and rules, i.e. Hasatan, governments, leaderships, and rulers, and all that stuff, because he will uh, be rebuilding his kingdom. For he must reign till he hath put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. Okay? So very important. For he hath put all things under his feet. But when he saith all things are put under him, it is, oh, let me read this again, sorry, it's a little bit challenging. But when he saith all things are put under him, it is manifest that he is expected, which, put, which did put all things under him. And when all things shall be subdu subdued unto him, then shall the Son also himself be subject unto him that put all things under him, that God may be all in all. In other words, God's going to be in charge and in control of everything. That's basically what that means. He's going to put down all everything and he's going to rule and reign is what that's saying. 29, else, what shall they do which are baptized for the dead, if the dead rise not at all? Why are they then baptized for the dead? And why stand ye in jeopardy every hour? I protest by your rejoicing that I have in Messiah, uh, Yeshua, our Lord, I die daily. I, after the manner of men, uh, if after the manner of men I have fought with beasts at Ephesus, what advantage me if the dead rise not? Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. So in other words, he's saying, if there is no resurrection, if there is no uh, birth of this kingdom that's going to happen, then, you know, we might as well do whatever we want, because otherwise everything else is in vain. 33. Be not deceived. Evil communications, evil co communications corrupt good manners. Awake to righteousness and sit not. Some have not the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. So he's saying, you know, wake up, pay attention. If you're skewed, you know, you may not have the knowledge of God. 30, 35. But some, man, some, but some man will say, how are the dead raised up? And with what body do they come? Thou fool. Uh, that which thou sowest is not quickened except it die. In other words, so you have like, you're going to grow um, corn. So the ear of corn, it's not really dead, but it's, it's a, for all intents and purposes, those little kernels. It has to grow into the, go into the ground, right? Basically a dead seed that's producing nothing in itself. It has to grow into the ground so that it can bear fruit, and new life springs forth from that. So he's going to talk about that. Um, 37, and that which thou sowest, thou sowest not that body that shall be, but bear grain. It may, chance, uh, it may chance of wheat or some other grain, but God giveth it a body as it hath pleased him, and to every seed his own body. All flesh is not the same flesh, but there is one kind of flesh of men, other flesh of beasts, other of fishes, other of birds. There are also celestial bodies and bodies terrestrial, but the glory of the celestial is one, and the glory of the terrestrial is another. There is one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, another glory of the stars. For one star differeth from another star in glory. So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It's raised in power. It's sown, uh, it is sown a natural body. It's raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. And so it is written. The first man, Adam, was made a living soul, and the last Adam made a quickening spirit. So in other words, he's saying flesh and blood, that which dies, is not the same thing that comes up out of the ground. Just like when Yeshua was resurrected, they, they, 
he didn't come up as a fish man, you know, looking totally, they weren't like, ah, scared, he looked like an alien, or he wasn't just some floating ball of energy. He was resurrected with a body, somehow perfect. They didn't quite recognize him, but he still had the effects of, you know, it is in his side, in his hands, um, but that he was raised as in a, a, a spiritual perfected body. Because then he went up into heaven, and flesh and blood and that which is corrupt cannot enter into heaven. So he, he, he was perfected at that point. So, uh, 46, how be it? That was not first which is spiritual, but that which is natural, and afterwards that which is spiritual. The first man is of the earth, earthly. The second man is the Lord from heaven. As is, uh, as is the earthly, so are they also that are earthly. As is the heavenly, such are they also that are heavenly. And as we have borne the image of the earthly, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. Because we're going to be born again. We're being transformed. And that happens the seed of the word of God has to be planted first, right? In our hearts and in our lives. And then at the last day, the transformation happens when we are raised again with a new body. But Yeshua has to go through that for us first. Now, um, 50. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this, in, for this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Yeshua Messiah. So he's saying what I was just talking about, that in the last day when all this happens, you know, some people will be dead, um, and they'll be raised up and transformed. Others that are alive will be transformed in an instant. And I believe this is what happened to... Um, um, Elisha, Elisha, who got caught up? Elijah. Ja, Elijah, I always butcher that, Elijah. So, you know, the firing, flaming chariot caught him up and brought him up into heaven. Well, at some point in that trip, he would have been transformed because, again, corruption cannot go to heaven. It cannot be in the presence of God because it would be vaporized immediately. Uh, just like um, Moses, when God said, no man can see my face and live, and he had to put him in the cleft of the rock, and he had to put his hand over him, and then he could only see the back of him, and even then his face sh shone. You know, you could only see a little bit of the train of his glory. You know, and these are all uh, analogies. You know, Moses didn't really see the train of the glory of God dragging behind him. You know, he saw... You know, those are just earthly terminology that we have to put to things so we can even wrap our mind around it because we are contained within this universe that we live in, and God's outside of it all, such that we can't even conceive. And so he gives us his word, and he gives us pictures embedded in everything so that we can see his power and his glory and his plan and his intention 
and so that we will see our depraved state and see the chaos around us and look to him for redemption. Um, and that's why he puts all these things in. And that's why it's built into the agriculture and the fabric of their lives. I mean, God's so wise. I mean, we as stupid people have industrialized everything such that we don't, we don't grow anything. We don't know how things grow. We don't know what seeds are like. We just go to the store and pick up things out of the freezer, you know, and then heat them up in our microwave. And then we, and then we read stuff about agriculture, and we're like, what in the world? You know, it doesn't make sense to us. Part of it, too, is we live in bleep New Hampshire with all this horrible weather. And whereas in Israel, it's like 70 degrees right now. Anyway, ranting and raving. But, so, it, that, you know, the Torah was designed to be lived out in the land. And so the farther we are away from that, the farther removed we get from the pictures that God intended for us and built into these cycles of righteousness, these festivals that are supposed to teach him about, teach us about him, you know. And so it's, it's incumbent upon us to learn and to know his word so that we can understand, like, but even still, you know, Paul's, and, and that's why I love what Paul's writings are, is even in the first century, they were as messed up as we are. That's why he was having to write to Corinth, congregation in the diaspora, and explain, no, you stupid people, there is a resurrection. That's why Messiah had to come and die for us, just like the first fruits. Uh, that uh, of the of the harvest is offered unto God, so that kingdom that's going to be offered unto God, His people, because it's all about people, are going to be offered up, and so that first sheaf of that which is pure and grows and is the best gets offered up to God first. That's Yeshua, and then all the rest of the harvest is gathered up, and then the, the tithe is given. Blah 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 blah, and so. Um, Hopefully, that's been a little bit of a blessing and interesting, and, and I just thought it was great. I love, uh, there's a lot more we could talk about. Um, what I wanted to say uh, in verse 56, it says, The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. You know, that verse has been used oft times to, be, to denigrate the Torah. Um, but it's a very simple statement. The strength of sin is the law, because the law condemns sin. And so it is the strength of sin. And that's what it's supposed to do. You know, but the law is not bad. It's not a burden. It's, it's not uh, done away with. It is, it is the path in which the, the path of righteousness to walk therein so that we have a fruitful good life in this, in this current life. Um, otherwise, left to, left to our own devices, and even with the Word of God, we still... Uh, mutate and um, uh, distort that which God's trying to teach us. Because that's what, it all goes back to the Garden of Eden. God said, eat from the tree of life, not from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It was a hybrid. It was a mixture. And what did the snake say to Eve? Have God said? You know, he, they cast doubt on the word of God. And so, that's why we have to cling to the Word of God, and it's the only pure thing that teaches us um, that which is right, how to live, and what to do. And so that's why Paul appeals to the Scriptures, that there is a resurrection, and he bases it all on that, his arguments. And um, Otherwise, like he said, we're false teachers, and everything is in vain if we speak not according to it. So. 
Deuteronomy? Deuteronomy chapter 16. We read most of the chapter. is to remind us where we came from. Right. And you have to know where you came from to be able to remember it. Right. And that's, to me, the whole picture of Yeshua's salvation is he brought us out from what we were bombing to the right. in our own ego. Right. And, you know, the reality of salvation, deliverance, right. and actually remember where you came out from. Right. Yeah. You're in bondage to sin, as Paul tells us. And that's what the whole p- picture of Egypt is, and even built into the name, it means pressure, you know, enclosed. And, um, yeah, you were a bondman. Not able, not able to serve God, because you're in a, in a, in, 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 you're a slave, you know, and they had to be taken out of that, so that then they could be given the word of God to live anew. Same thing for us, yeah, exactly. We, we were in our own Egypt, a slave to sin, unable to please God, and so you have to accept that lamb, that death of that lamb, to be able to... Right, and then they go to the, and then they journey to the mountain, they get the word, and then they are supposed to live it out and live happily ever after. That's the, therein lies the struggle. Right, you know. Uh, So, but even Moses, who, you know, was God's main guy, you know, he didn't get to go into the land. Because he messed up, he sinned, you know, and we all do. Uh, So, yeah, amen. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father God, we just thank you for this day, uh, this word. I thank you for Shabbat. I thank you for the truth of your word as we uh, finish up um, this week of unleavened bread. Help us to reflect on our own lives and that we might get the leaven of sin and and, uh, error out of our lives and... uh, we thank you that you are the first fruits of the resurrection. And as we um, reserve that day tomorrow, begin to count the Omer, looking towards the giving of the Torah, uh, that we might just reflect on that in your word. And I just thank you for all these things. In Yeshua's name we pray. Amen.